Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thank you for being with us. About those existential elections, no, I promise you I won't be boring you with numbers or laments about paradise lost or great expectations dashed today. My wife this morning said she couldn't think of a time when winning the House of Representatives felt more like a defeat or holding the Dems to basically a tie in the Senate felt more like a win. Mostly, I think we've all been whipsawed by the nonstop corporate media and Marxist Dems psyops run every day up to the midterm elections. But we all survived, didn't we? We didn't succeed, but we may well have gotten more than we really deserved with the GOP winning the majority in Congress, don't you think? These are troubling times, no matter how you look at it, troubling times of immense proportions, aren't they? In large measure, I think, the Marxist Dems have the American people under some sort of a psychological spell as they've weaponized the parts of government we once knew to be there to protect citizens, to assure law and order, and even justice. Instead, they've not only weaponized our FBI, our Department of Justice, and many of our courts against us, they've worked hard to normalize their anti-American programs and policies to render us accepting of a wide-open border, to the targeting of citizens who insist on their parental rights, and the well-being of their children in our public schools, and, of course, the denial of our constitutional rights, the deprivation of those same rights to our fellow citizens, including the January 6th demonstrators and protesters who've been caught up in the Marxist left's exploitation of that day for their ideological purposes and election advantages. And their programs, their disaffection programs, have worked, and worked well. Almost a 1,000 of our citizens are in political prisons, wasting in various jails and prisons in the D.C. area. And some have been held without charge, without trial, for now almost two years. And nothing is done. Nothing is being done. Nothing seems like it can be done. And this hopeless national disgrace is perpetrated by the Marxist Dems with the passive indifference of the GOP. It is a national tragedy borne by individuals who might as well be victims of a faraway totalitarian third world government. No one ever dreamed this could happen in America. And no one has covered their plight better than our guest today, Julie Kelly. She's a terrific journalist. You can read her work at AmericanGreatness.com. And her book is January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror against the political right. Julie Kelly is doing great work as well in covering the constant, insistent corruption of the FBI and Department of Justice. Great to have you with us, Julie, and tell us, first of all, bring us up to date on the lawsuit you're reporting on, on the corruption and collusion between the Biden regime and big tech. 
So, Lou, there is a fascinating lawsuit right now happening in uh, Louisiana, and that is um, the attorneys general for Missouri and Louisiana filed a civil suit against more than uh, more than five dozen government officials, Biden White House uh, associates and government officials to expose their deep collusion with big tech to censor and suppress, you know, posts on social media that were contradictory to the official narrative, especially related to COVID and vaccines, also the Hunter Biden laptop suppression, and a number of issues. So there's a judge down in Louisiana, Judge Terry Doty, and he's overseeing this lawsuit. And in October, he ordered the deposition of eight government officials, including Anthony Fauci, and former press secretary Jen Psaki. Well, they've been fighting these depositions. Uh, Jen Psaki uh, filed a separate motion in a different court seeking to quash the subpoena for her deposition. They kicked it back to this judge. And on Monday afternoon, the judge uh, denied her motion to quash the subpoena, said she attempted an end around around the court's order, which of course she did, mocked her for saying basically she is too busy to offer a court-ordered deposition for her role in uh, the government. And she will have to sit for a videotaped deposition on December 8th, which her attorneys also want to be kept under protective seal. It's, uh, well, that's a nice positive step. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I expected it or if I was just hoping uh, so much that it would occur. Uh, but this is an important lawsuit and has the potential to really be revelatory, doesn't it? It really does, Lou, and it's kind of flying under the radar, um, but it's it's moving pretty quickly. And again, these are five dozen, uh, nearly six dozen government officials, the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General, of course, Joe Biden himself, and uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, John Saki, Anthony Fauci, um, several top level officials in the Biden administration because they want to expose, right, how the government and these agencies are working with the most powerful information platforms in the world to ban content that the government does not want people to see. Well, that's in direct violation, of course, to the First Amendment, which is the argument in this lawsuit. I suspect, Lou, we will learn a lot more from this lawsuit uh, than we will from any kind of dragged out congressional investigations uh, that the Republicans are now promising. This has been a, a, a subject, an issue, that is the relationship between government and big tech and social media in suppressing the public's right to know. That's been, it's sort of been uh, unfolding in sort of peculiar ways. Uh, we, you know, we find out that the FBI actually had face-to-face -face contact, Thibodeau, uh, with, uh, with uh, social media. Uh, we found out that top officials through the whistleblowers uh, have been working uh, with a number of companies and other uh, entities to suppress stories uh, in, in national media. Uh, it's really starting to come together in all places. Uh, this lawsuit by, I think it's what, 20 uh, attorneys general led by uh, Jeff Landry and uh, Eric Smith uh, from Missouri. I mean, that's not exactly the, the, the place you would have expected this all to originate, is it? It's not. But you know what, Lou? It shows the power that Republican attorney generals have and that they need to use because we now have a fully 
weaponized Department of Justice working on behalf of Joe Biden and the Democrats shamelessly, recklessly, vengefully going after Trump and his supporters. So the only recourse is what could happen in the states. And I mean, I think this is a very powerful lawsuit. Um, I really applaud Eric Schmidt and Jeff Landry for filing this. And um, to your point, Lou, they are also going to depose a man named Elvis Chan. He's an FBI agent who works out of the San Francisco FBI field office. He is one of the direct conduits between the FBI and big tech because, of course, the San Francisco field office is in the heart of Silicon Valley. Now, of course, the FBI is not investigating any of the 300 plus big tech companies in that jurisdiction, right, for violating First Amendment, deplatforming people, violating certain federal laws like election inf- interference. No, Elvis Chan is a conduit to give the FBI and DOJ's marching orders to big tech what they're supposed to suppress and ban and what they're supposed to amplify. His deposition will be as interesting, I think, as Jen Psaki's or anyone else's. You know, and the way you just put it, I think, is is not the way many people think about this uh this issue of the FBI and the Department of Justice pushing out against uh, particular stories or information or Russian disinformation, as they styled it in the case of the 51 uh, signatories from the veterans of uh, our our intelligence agencies in 2020. It it is actually handing them a list of what to do and what not to do. Uh, This is picking winners and losers in the in the most uh, in the rawest way. Uh, And to have it at this level, we've known about it. I guess we've known about it really since 2016, 2017. Uh Those of us who are covering it every day, we've known that they were active in this in this fashion. But to see it still in in effect persisting through today after all we've been through. Uh, the election of 2020, now the election of 2022, uh, and on it goes. Uh, It it is just, it is so broad. It is so uh, deep, this this corruption, political corruption, uh, and this denial of the public's right to know. Uh, It's just, it's shameless, it's disgusting, it's appalling, and it's so large that it's almost impossible to get to get your head around. And what's it going to take to bring all of this under control and to rid uh, the federal government uh, of this kind of political uh, corruption? I mean, I think this lawsuit will go a long way. I think some of the revelations, Lou, that are coming out of the January 6th trials, which is the extensive use of informants run into the key militia groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, now months before January 6th, not only sort of confirms what people like me and Darren Beatty have been covering, which is the very uh, the likelihood um, that the FBI not only participated in January 6th, but really helped organize and pro- provoke the events of that day. Um, it's sort of supporting that. But on the flip side, Lou, you have even people at the left, the New York Times, who confirmed the existence of eight informants in the Proud Boys before January 6th. What they're asking, Lou, is wait a second. Christopher Wray and the FBI and the Democrats and even the January 6th committee have made it sound like everyone was caught off guard. 
that this was, you know, behind the scenes maneuvering incitement by Donald Trump. Then his speech kind of lit the flame that day. But that's not what Christopher Ray and they have been, they've never admitted that they had numerous government assets working in these groups and who knows where else. So the idea that they didn't have knowledge now completely contradicts the fact that they had informants, confidential human sources in these groups. Were they collecting information and not passing it to the FBI? Did they collect information and they didn't expect anything to happen that day? Or does this look more like the quote unquote plot to abduct and assassinate Gretchen Whitmer in 2020, which is where dozens of FBI supervising agents, undercover agents and informants working out of multiple field offices stitched this group together, provoked organized meetings, uh, um, you know, created encrypted chats to sort of uh, promote this overheated rhetoric that was used as evidence. Um, but to make it look like these white supremacist militiamen loyal to Donald Trump were going to try to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. It was all an FBI fabrication. So did they put that on steroids for January 6th, which has been, of course, my suspicion and Darren Beatty's suspicion and a few other people's, you know, from the beginning? Um, or did they just use really bad informants who didn't pass this along to their handling agents who then didn't pass it on to top law enforcement. Lots of questions now being asked on both sides. It's a bad prosecution. It's a horrible investigation. Uh, and it looks like it was an instigation as well as an investigation on the part of the FBI. Your, your thoughts about it all? Well, look, there is nothing in my view that is more illustrative of the willingness and capability of the FBI to use whatever powers it has to create political narratives to help Democrats sabotage Donald Trump and promote FBI Director Christopher Wray's absurd, phony claim that domestic violent extremists pose a dangerous threat to the country. Now, two men were convicted. This was in a retrial. They were got a hung jury in the April trial where two other men were outright acquitted after their defense right. attorneys argued this was an FBI entrapment scheme. The other two men got a hung jury. The government went back, retried them in August, thanks to a lot of help by the judge in the second trial, who did outrageous things helping uh, DOJ promote their case, were those men found guilty. Their attorneys are going to immediately appeal after these men are sentenced at the end of December. That's the process, I guess. But this case is far from over. And so the idea that, oh, there were convictions. Well, I followed both trials every single day. I know exactly what the judge did. There's also accusations of juror misconduct in the second trial. So this thing is far from over. Um, and I think it, and it's important, right, Lou, to, un to appreciate these two things are happening at the same time. The very same time the FBI is running the Whitmer Fed mapping hoax, they are running informants into Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, the two similar militia groups that aren't militias, but whatever, um, tied to January 6th. So there's no way to look at the Whitmer Fed napping and say, oh, but it was different in January 6th. They were really just being used to collect intelligence, see what these guys were up to, yada, yada. No. This was all part of the same operation. And here's the kicker, Lou. The direct, the head of the Michigan FBI field office, Stephen D'Antuano, 
He was the guy responsible for the main handling agents and the main informants and undercover agents. He was promoted in the middle of October 2020 by Christopher Ray to go where? The Washington, D.C. FBI field office. So he took one operation, took it to another operation in D.C. before January 6th and on January 6th. He's also the guy who told us the pipe bombs were legit and he was going to investigate the pipe bombers until he found it. And here we are almost two years later. No pipe bomber, no report, no interest. It's been totally memory hold. You can't disconnect all of these similarities and coincidences, right? Yep. And there's another coincidence because the Mar-a-Lago raid came out of the Washington field office, the D.C. field office, which is where, as you say, he had been ensconced as a promotion from uh, his uh, evil doings in, in Michigan, right? That's right. And that is why Stephen D'Antuano's name has appeared on a list sent by House Judiciary Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee last week notifying Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray of FBI officials they want to interview. Now, Stephen D'Antuano, I've been told by sources, uh, has announced his retirement as of the end of this month. <laughs> so he is going to try to skate out of town unscathed by House Republicans, who I sincerely doubt or hope at least that they are not going to let him off the hook because he more so than anyone, Lou, has questions to answer for both of these, January 6th and the Whitmer Fed napping. Absolutely, and all of his superiors as well. Uh, you know, there is an interesting little, uh, what would I call it, an artifice here, that if uh, if an FBI agent retires in time, he doesn't have to be brought before or can decline coming before before Congress. I mean, it's sort of a... a retirement into uh, congressional immunity. Uh, that is a bizarre uh, kind of rule to me. What do you think? Well, it is. And um, I think that's why I think uh, Tim Tebow, he resigned or was fired. We don't really have a clear story on that. He's another agent out of this just rotted to the core Washington, D.C. FBI field office. And he was the one who helped try to bury the Hunter Biden story, calling it misinformation and burying it somewhere so it could not be sort of uh, uh, reinstated into some sort of investigation. So, look, the source of the rot of both the FBI and Department of Justice are in D.C., not necessarily the headquarters, the Washington field office and the U.S. attorney right. for Washington, D.C., for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves. These are the agents. Those offices need to be shut down. They need to completely be defunded by House Republicans. Why would you fund these powerful offices that are doing nothing but targeting your own members, the leader of the party, Donald Trump, and his voters and supporters across the country for four-hour disturbance on January 6th? Um, it's just insanity. So, um, But look, that's where the problems I... Uh, if Stephen D'Antuano tries to avoid congressional inquiries, um, I really hope Republicans use whatever powers they have to hold him accountable and culpable. And in public, we need hearings so the American people could see and hear for themselves how these people uh, handle uh, inquisitions into uh, their work on behalf of the American people. Well, I think you're exactly right. And we're so close here. 
but we've been close before and nothing has come of it. And I, and I see Christopher Ray stand, stand up and say, you know, we have discovered that the Chinese, the communist Chinese have police stations in America. And this is troubling. This is concerning, <laughs> says Christopher Ray. Well, only a damn fool would be unaware that those police stations have been here for years. And if the FBI doesn't hadn't known about them for years, we really need to have a house cleaning. Uh, it, it's preposterous, this uh, political theater that emanates from the FBI and its director shamelessly. What does he expect to happen now? And why, why on earth is he sitting here to, uh, talking about his concerns when as the head of the FBI, he's paid to shut this kind of crap down? It's interesting to watch Christopher Ray in action because he... He distances himself from anything that's happening in the FBI, except when he needs to defend the 36,000 men and women. They're above reproach. You should not question our integrity, our motives, et cetera, et cetera. He might be right about some of them. But look, that sort of arrogance, lack of accountability, uh, and really flagrant abuse of power has infected this entire bureau. It is not just a headquarters problem. And Stephen D'Antuano is an example, and his agents are an example of that. Um, this infects every single office. Unfortunately, that kind of hubris, which oh, goes back to James Comey as well. But look, Lou, we've seen Chris Ray finally on the hot seat a little bit. When Representative Clay Higgins confronted him not once but twice last week during House Homeland Security Committee meeting, Asking Chris Ray directly, did you have Trump, um, FBI informants dressed like Trump supporters planted inside the Capitol building before protesters entered the building? Yes or no? Chris Ray couldn't answer yes or no. That was an astonishing moment, even for me, because it suggests two things. Representative Higgins has seen video that shows FBI assets disguised as Trump supporters in the Capitol that afternoon. Otherwise, I doubt he'd be asking that question. You could see by the reaction of Chris Ray, he was really caught off guard at that question and actually got really agitated when Higgins said to him, it should be a no. You don't have to hide between sources and methods and investigations, et cetera. You say no. Of course, that's preposterous. But he didn't because he knows that Representative Higgins knows that that is the fact. You also saw uh, Senator Josh Hawley a few days later confront Ray about skating out of a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing a few months ago, claiming he had a business trip when he was taking a Gulfstream 5 taxpayer-funded private jet to meet his family for a summer weekend, uh, I believe, in upstate New York. I hope that Christopher Ray doesn't retire real quickly because I still think there are a lot of questions he needs to answer and a lot he needs to be held responsible for. Uh, but amongst those things uh, is, again, and Julie, I, I tell you what, I get gut sick every time I think about January 6th and those people who are still behind bars. Uh, I, we report, we talk, uh, we, we talk with people who talk about and some who talk about and try to help these folks, but nothing moves. Nothing moves these these pitiful excuses for Americans who are peopling our courts, 
our, our Justice Department prosecutors and FBI investigators. It's a sickening, sickening moment. And I, I have never felt so helpless uh, as I have, uh, and, and I mean helpless, uh, to do anything about January 6th and those people. Well, um, I appreciate your saying that, and I know that the people listening, especially the people whose lives have been and are being destroyed um, by this, uh, just, uh, you can't believe, so un-American, so abusive. The word I often use is sadistic, because there's something really wrong with these judges, with these prosecutors, and with these agents. Not only are they total liars, they are gratified by the pain that they are inflicting on Americans who did nothing wrong that day, who have no criminal record, who are patriotic people who love this country, not the handful who engaged in violence, but people who walked into open doors. You had a man now sentenced to three years in prison after he was found guilty for obstruction of an official proceeding, of course, a ridiculous nonviolent felony. And I think he st- took a bottle of booze from someone's desk. And, and Emmett Sullivan, that crazy, that Emmett Sullivan, uh, who should have retired oh, he is. or been impeached, at least, um, he blasted this guy. He accused him of... Um, contributing to the deaths of police officers that day, which, of course, no police officer died as a result of January 6th. He compared Donald Trump to Hitler. He compared his followers to uh, to Nazis. These are the sorts of things that are happening in open court in our nation's capital. Um, it's just astonishing. But look, Lou, the bottom line is it's it's too late to help these people. The time to have helped them was right when this began, putting money and lawyers on the ground to defend them to challenge Matthew Graves this uh, and the uh, U.S. Attorney for District of Columbia and this DOJ. It's far too late. The only way we can help them is to redeem them, to find the truth of January 6th and hold the real criminals, the real perpetrators accountable, even if not criminally, at least publicly, so that people can hear what this government did to foment the events of that day to end up where we are now, which is, you know, criminal indictment of Donald Trump in the works, criminal prosecutions of his allies, his associates, and of course, his uh, his voters. Well, the election is over. I think that uh, there is an opportunity here to help, and that is uh, those who are in leadership in the Republican Party on Capitol Hill and nationally sh- should take up this issue. Uh, those people are all Trump supporters. Uh, they need to be helped. Donald Trump needs to stand up and demand uh, help. And, and I think one of the surest ways to have some influence, and this is just a thought, and I want to see what you think of it. I would like to see, because ultimately, Chief Justice John Roberts is responsible for the courts. And I agree for the implication of what you said, if not uh, what you said directly. These judges have the power to stop all of this now, and they refuse to do it. Indeed, they seem to uh, to rise to it, uh, to absolutely embrace the idea of punishment for the so-called insurrectionists, which is a pathetic piece of propaganda emanating from the Marxist-left Democratic Party. Uh, but what do you think of the idea of putting the focus on John Roberts, because he does have 
the responsibility and the power to intervene and do something about it with these these sadistic judges. I think you're exactly right to call it what it is. They're sadistic and they're vicious. I mean, I I don't have a lot of faith that John Roberts would do anything. I mean, he lives in the same, you know, they run in the same circles in Washington, D.C. and in the suburbs in Virginia and Maryland. They're all in the same little group together. This D.C. District Court has done nothing but act like a rubber stamp for this Justice Department. And I'll tell you what, the Trump appointed judges are as bad. And I know we've talked about this. They're as bad as people like Emmett Sullivan or the Democrats. Judge Tim Kelly, a Trump appointee who is a former prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's uh, District of Columbia office. Um, I just watched a pretrial hearing for him uh, for the Proud Boys. That trial starts next month. Judge Tim Kelly has kept four men behind bars since the spring. In fact, one, I believe Joe Biggs has been there since January 2021, right when he was arrested. They will have been incarcerated for almost two years on nonviolent offenses before they even have a chance to go to trial. And I watch him and his smugness, and there's not even a flicker of conscience in that man looking at the men at the table who I saw who have been behind bars away from their families, suffering in solitary confinement conditions, veterans. Joe Biggs is a veteran. He's been in jail now for almost two years away from his young daughter, his life destroyed. And Judge Kelly doesn't even care. Prosecutors don't even care. These men did nothing wrong. They didn't bring weapons. They didn't assault police officers. And here they are rotting in jail before they go before a D.C. jury that sadly, because DOJ has a 99.9 percent record, uh, victory record before D.C. juries and J6 cases, sadly go before a D.C. jury where they probably will be convicted. And these same judges, they have not moved a single trial out of Washington, D.C., a city that voted 93 percent for Joe Biden. Yeah. And just for those who think the name Emmett Sullivan sounds familiar, he is also the district court judge in D.C. who uh, decided to act as prosecutor as well as judge (laughs) in the General Michael Flynn case in which the Department of Justice and the attorney general had uh, ordered uh, the the suspension of the prosecution against General Kelly. And he decided and it, and I everybody I talked to had never heard of a, a federal judge doing this, decided to intercede himself and make the decision and fight the Justice Department on its request to the judge, very respectful, General Michael Flynn, to uh, to, to end his prosecution and free him. And he started fighting it from the bench. The appellate court, to its credit, made it known that they were not pleased with his position. He still persisted, but then ultimately gave way to the appellate court. It's it's remarkable. The man is completely mad as far as I'm concerned. But a lot of them are like that, unfortunately. He is, you know, this is what I've seen from almost every single one of these district D.C. district court judges. Look, Lou, it's also time to impeach a federal judge. I think the last time a federal judge was impeached was maybe two decades ago. House Republicans are really serious, and this is a deadly serious time. At least one of these judges, whether it's Emmett Sullivan, whether it's Beryl Howell, who is the chief judge, 
who is overseeing this farce in her court in that courthouse, um, whether it's a judge like Tim Kelly, who is clearly violating numerous constitutional rights of these defendants. Um, I've got a long list. I've got a long list of their comments. I've got a long list of their rulings, not just denying, you know, speedy trial due process presumption of innocence, um, but refusing to move these trials out of Washington, D.C., when it is so obvious these men and women cannot get a fair trial. Emmett Sullivan, I should point out, I'm pretty sure of this. I think he is a uh, a senior judge or effectively a retired judge who is brought in to pick up. Uh, you know, there's the other sad part of this. The federal court system is such a a morass of backed up cases. Uh, It's just a slodge to get through the federal court system. They don't have enough judges uh, and their senior judges seem to be getting more and more of the important mainstream cases uh, just because of that alone. Uh, His his senior status, he should be retired uh, and forthwith, I think. Oh, I agree. I I mean, I think a lot of them, you have... um... Judges like Tom Hogan, 83 years old, appointed by Ronald Reagan. He's still on that court. Royce Lamberth, also appointed by Ronald Reagan. He's still on that court. They have been also egregious in their handling of January 6 cases. They have open contempt for these Trump supporters. They also have kept men detained behind bars, denying them bail. Royce Lambert was the judge in the Jacob Chansley case, kept him in jail, After 317 days in solitary confinement, DOJ tortured him into a plea deal. He pleaded guilty to the obstruction of an official proceeding count, again, a nonviolent felony related to the post-Enron era. Jacob Chansley begged for mercy. Royce Lamberth sentenced him to 41 months in prison, a veteran, again, with no criminal record rotting in jail for walking into a public building, talking with police, going into the Senate chamber, leading a prayer and leaving. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I think every veterans group in the country should be marching on Washington to stop this. They really haven't do. said a word. They, have nope, not said they haven't a word. said a word as to have so few. And those of us who have said a word uh, feel all the worse because we can't do anything. Uh, it, it's, it's, there's got to be a solution here, but it's one that certainly I haven't found. Uh, and without your reporting, we would know almost nothing about what is happening. Uh, Julie, as always, thank you for being here. Thanks for all your reporting, all that you're doing to chronicle this national disgrace, because it is that. Uh, it is just should, it's just incredible to think that this is happening in the United States of America. Julie Kelly, thank you so much for being with us uh, again here on The Great America Show. God bless you. God bless you, Lou. Thanks so much for having me on and covering my work. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Julie Kelly, and I want to urge you to pick up her book, January 6th, Essential to Understanding What the Left is Doing in D.C. and Doing to All of Us. The book is January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Please join us here tomorrow when our guest will be Congressman Andy Biggs, running for Speaker of the House, fighting the rhino Ryan handpicked Kevin McCarthy for the top job. By the way, just wondering, why do Republicans get elected by their voters and then turn over their leadership once they get to Washington 
to the rhinos. Perhaps that's part of the reason the Republican Party is a bit of a mess, don't you think? Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you, and may God bless America.